0: don't want to be scaring you here on looking at Lyme. I want you to be informed. The point is not to keep people from going outside. It's quite the opposite. It's about being careful, taking precautions. That's the key. It's called risk management and on this Looking at Lyme we're going to meet an expert on managing risks. I'm hoping that all of you teachers, counselors and guides are listening to this podcast. Anyone who knows me knows that I am really into risk management. Pretty much everything I do in life, I am always scanning the horizon trying to figure out what could potentially harm me. And I probably got this from taking care of other people's children. When we take people into the outdoors as a guide or as a teacher, we have an extra duty of care to take care of those children who aren't ours. On this Looking at Lime podcast, we're going to speak with Steve Smith from Experiential Consulting. He is an expert in risk management. We reached him in Washington State. Thanks so much for joining our podcast today. I'm just going to dive right in and ask you, what is risk management?
1: Well, thanks, it's a pleasure to be here with you all. Uh, so what is risk management? So that's a term that actually comes to us originally from the financial world and it has been adopted by uh, outdoor education and outdoor recreation programs. It is important to distinguish when we're talking about this term that safety is a term that we often use, but risk management is a much more nuanced, to me a more appropriate term. Uh, they're easily conflated But if you look up safety, what you're going to find is free from risk of harm. So let me ask you, how can we take people backpacking or hiking or paddling or even driving vehicles to these trailheads to do those activities and expect them to be free from risk of harm? So it's not about eliminating the risk altogether. It's about managing that risk, which is why we talk about risk management. So. There's another little angle to it, too, that I'd like to share with you. Um, and it's another rhetorical question. Is risk a bad thing that we're seeking to completely eliminate altogether from our lives or from these outdoor adventures? Um, of course not. Um, there's a value in being in these wild and remote places and being out of your comfort zone and learning new things and making mistakes, right, and experientially learning from those mistakes. Um, learning to trust your partners, um, taking social and emotional risks, things like that. So outdoor education um, gets us out of our comfort zones and more into learning zones. There's a story um, about uh, Kurt Hahn, who is the fellow who founded Outward Bound back in the day, and he ran a school in Wales that tried to educate the whole student. So He famously, this was a novel, you know, unique idea at the time, and he famously impelled the scholar onto the athletic field and sent the athletes into the classrooms, trying to get them out of their comfort zones and working on the less developed parts of themselves. So, you know, going out and and being out of our comfort zones and being in those wild places, these are risks that are really just inherent to outdoor education, And in my company, we encourage programs to think about the beneficial risks, the positive risks that people get um, from being outside, in addition, of course, to those undesired risks. Our society overprotects kids, and it's not um, to their advantage. So um, anyway, that's a quick uh, summary for you of some of the thoughts about um, risk management, how we think about it.
0: I really love that historical context, and uh, you and I certainly share a similar passion for outdoor experiential education and all the life lessons that can transfer into our everyday lives. I'm just curious about when we apply that extra layer of risk management into uh, taking care of young people, when we have that duty of care for young people, and if that adds one other layer of complexity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So... You know, I talked about a lot of the benefits that come from outdoor education and all that, but uh, working with other people's children carries a tremendous responsibility. And uh, focusing back on Lyme disease for a second, there are no beneficial risks to getting Lyme disease. There's nothing positive, you know, that you're going to gain from that. So, you know... uh, being seriously injured or contracting a, a very serious um, disease like Lyme disease or being in an accident of some sort, you know, these are all things that um, we really want to accurately assess uh, and have good risk management strategies and plans for those, uh, those instances. Even the very best programs can still have something unexpected uh, happen in the dynamic. Outdoor environments that we work, and so you know, it's not just about preventing these things from happening, but it's also about uh, having the um, appropriate plans and um, systems in place to be able to effectively respond, you know, when when unexpected things do happen. Uh, so yes, it, we definitely have a big responsibility in taking care of uh, all of our people when we're on these adventures, and the younger they are, you know, the more the responsibility shifts from the participant to the leaders or to the program itself.
0: So in your role, how do you help organizations like outdoor schools and camps uh, manage their risk? Is it by creating new protocols?
1: Yeah, you know, policies and protocols is, is one part of it, but there's so many other layers. I know if you look at outdoor education through a systems lens, you know, the the policies and the procedures that you follow uh, are really just one part of a much larger system of things that start long before the program even goes into the field. And uh, one of my mentors in outdoor risk management is an attorney, recreation law attorney named Charles Reb Gregg. And he introduced me to a really simple model uh, that he has taught over the years um, called Analyze, Manage, Inform. And let me just break down those three steps real quick. Um, Analyzing uh, the hazards and the risks of an outdoor program is really uh, the first step. And a lot of organizations like to use a simple model where they look at the severity, the probability, and the exposure to those hazards. So the severity would be, um, you know, how bad is this hazard? How bad of an impact would it have? Uh, the probability is how likely would you be um, to encounter that hazard? So let's take lightning, for example. It's really bad to be hit by lightning, obviously, or ground current from lightning. Uh, but the probability of that really changes from day to day, um, depending on the you know, circumstances that you find yourself in, uh, And then exposure is the third piece of that. And, you know, there's a difference between um, passing over the top of a ridge quickly and being exposed to lightning as opposed to setting up your camp on top of that peak and being exposed for a much longer period of time. So analyzing the hazards is a step managing those hazards uh, in a way that's aware of how similar programs manage them, uh, maybe the standards that you're particular activity or industry has set in place through accrediting programs or trainings and certifications in Canada. You know, that might be the um, Canadian Mountain Guides Association or, you know, other um, accrediting bodies. And uh, finally, informing people uh, in the Analyze, Manage, Inform model. That's an important step to make sure people know what they're signing up for. Uh, if you want to achieve informed consent, from your participants and especially parents of your uh, minor students, then it's important to let them know about your organizational philosophy on risk, your risk tolerance, what the activities are going to be, what kinds of hazards they might be exposed to, you, so that there's no surprises. You know, lawsuits really arise when there's a mismatch between what people thought they were signing up for and what you're actually offering. So, uh, they also arise from how a program might respond and communicate if an incident does occur. So uh, those are just some general ways um, that we can try to assess and manage and inform people about the hazards inherent to the um, activities we might be doing, whether it's hiking or rafting or backpacking or mountaineering or even you know, just uh, a nature walk or whatever it might be that you do in, in your program
0: and how could policies or protocols about tick awareness and first aid uh, be incorporated into risk management for an organization
1: yeah great so you know with Lyme in particular let's just use that as an example of your broader question Uh, I was a risk management director for the Student Conservation Association here in the United States the nationwide nonprofit conservation organization with programs in all 50 states. And we dealt with a lot of tick mitigation um, that encompassed training and equipment and medical protocol and policies and procedures uh, at the ground level. Um, so for Lyme in particular, you know, you really want to analyze and monitor the local tick population and the environment in which you are traveling or camping or working you want to manage that hazard with basic protocols like bug repellent or bug repellent clothing, um, avoiding known tick habitats like grassy meadows, for example, um, and conducting routine tick checks is a, is a pretty common and um, effective strategy uh, to try to um, you know keep those. Even if you have ticks on you, it's one thing you have them, it's another thing once they're embedded. And I know you're going to do our follow-up podcast um, with a wilderness medical expert who will probably go into the, these details a lot more than, than I will hear. Um, but basically just having those basic monitoring and uh, tick avoidance, tick removal strategies, and knowing what symptoms to watch for, uh, and then having a really good plan in place uh, if someone does um have any symptoms or have an engorged tick? Um, so, and then once again, making sure that parents and participants know that they're potentially being exposed to ticks and in, in an area that has Lyme disease. Um, that you know, communicating to them what you're going to be doing to manage those risks again, so that there's no surprises.
0: Now, I know that you're in the states and I'm here in British Columbia. And we're both on the west coast, uh, but I. I am curious, how exposed are school groups and organizations to litigation? And and I know that, you know, that's a very different field in the States than Canada.
1: Yeah, great question. So uh, I do not want to, I'm not an attorney, and so I don't, I'm definitely not an expert in Canadian law. Uh, and there are differences in uh, how Canadian society and law works um, than in the U.S. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, I would say that there, we are exposed anytime that we run outdoor programs. There's the possibility that uh, things will happen, things will go wrong, and that there could be legal uh, legal consequences as a result of that. But that there are a lot of things that organizations can do to uh, help themselves uh, conduct those programs and pursue all the benefits of outdoor education while mitigating their exposure to the legal um, consequences. And so, you know, having uh, familiarity with the activities that you're doing and knowing how those activities are managed in the larger industry is, is a very baseline um, expectation Hiring really competent, qualified, well-trained staff and continuing to train them uh, and helping them grow in their expertise at managing these activities is a really good approach. Uh, Having written policies and procedures. uh, This is one that I often see uh, breakdowns in programs is maybe they've had staff that have been running these trips for decades and they know how to do it, and they know how to do it well and safely. But they they're running a quality program, and they absolutely can't prove it because they have nothing written. Uh, they have no written protocols. They have nothing to point back to to say this is how we do it at this organization. And so, if something does go awry, um, they're more exposed as as a result of that. So, having um, you know written policies and procedures that you not only write but that you follow <laughs> and that you train to um, is, is, a, is an effective approach. And, you know, another one is incident reporting and learning from things that do happen in the field, including near misses. You know, to me, near misses, which is like a close call where something almost happens, these are really chronically underreported things. In, in the world in general and certainly in the outdoor industry. You know, if we can do a better job of reporting and learning from our near misses, they their cheap lessons, there are no lawsuits, there are no injuries, you know, no one's going to the hospital about a near miss, but it's still a chance to, um, you know, listen to those weak signals that we might be getting and tuning more deeply into Um, learning from our day-to-day experiences and it continuously improving. Um, You know, I see organizations taking past success as a guarantee of future success. (laughs) And they might have been making the same mistakes for 20 years and just getting away with it. (laughs) You know, so I really think, um, you know, uh, really listening to the people running the trips and creating the kind of environment where we uh, you know, we can reflect back on how the trip went and what did we learn from it. What would we do differently next time? You know, risk management is not a product. It's a process. It's a process of continuous humility and um, learning and wanting to improve. So that's, those are some of the thoughts I have about, you know, uh, helping helping to set up your outdoor program. So that you're reaping the beneficial risks from these experiences and not just exposing yourself to the legal liabilities
0: those are such great points that you make. I really love the idea of uh you know the reporting, having everything written down, and definitely uh writing up those near misses is so important to risk management. I don't want to get deep into this because neither of us are lawyers, but uh are you aware of any legal cases that pertain to? Lyme disease and organizations, and what we can do is post a link to those uh, cases in our episode notes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the U.S., uh, there have been some really um, notable cases uh, with tick-borne illness. One that really has garnered a lot of attention uh, is not Lyme in particular, but it's a type of tick-borne encephalitis. They're very, very similar um, in, a, in, in some ways um, kind of case. This involves private school in, in the United States that did an overseas trip, and one of the participants came down, a uh, tick-borne illness that was, um, that the school had not followed some of these particular strategies that I'm talking about. You know, knowing that that was a risk Having appropriate methods to manage that risk to the participants, communicating to the parents. So, if you apply that analyze, manage, inform model to the Hodgkin case, there were some things that, that could have gone better in that case. And uh, it turned out to be quite a financially um, impactful lawsuit that occurred uh, to the school and a very um, unfortunate medical result for uh, the for the participants, and just a very sad case in general. And, you know, I would say that overprotecting kids and not letting them have outdoor experiences uh, has much more dire consequences uh, than giving them a well-designed outdoor education opportunity. Um, If you are running a camp or an outdoor program and you have not read Richard Lube's Last Child in the Woods book, uh, you should. Uh, it beautifully outlines um, not only the, the downside of overprotecting kids, but it outlines the beneficial socio-cognitive results and the growth and the physical health that can come from outdoor education. And so, we can include a link to that um, in in your show notes, too, Sarah. But uh, uh, and some other pieces, you know, that I can share with you after we wrap up the call. But, you know, I think that there are um, it's easy for in this in the social media age that we live in to focus on the high profile incidents and let that um, color our understanding of all of the really positive things that happen every day with our education and how can we, you know, pursue the quality programs and not just run away from the negative, negative aspects.
0: Oh well, thank you so much for for uh, all of those practical ideas, as well as, you know, just the reminder to Richard Louv's important work, and we will certainly post that in our notes as well. And thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with us.
1: If I could just wrap up with one last thought. Um, Certainly. You know the the main thing that I would really like people to take away uh, from this is is to keep learning. You know, don't take your past success as a guarantee of future success, uh, and that you can uh, continue to help your staff learn, and you can continue to learn about concepts like this uh, by going to things like the Wilderness Risk Management Conference. This is an annual gathering where hundreds of people from around the world who care about outdoor risk management gather together. Uh, we had the conference in Banff some years ago, and it's usually in the United States, but uh, we have a lot of Canadian folks who come down for the conference. This year's virtual, by the way, and it's next month. So, you know, there'd be a great opportunity to um, connect at that conference. Uh, and uh, Rich Lou's book, an entire movement called the Children in Nature Network Movement, which uh, has an annual conference. We were in Vancouver, B.C. uh, a few years ago, uh, and that's a virtual conference this year as well. Um, I would love to connect with anyone who has questions about any of this stuff, and you can find me on LinkedIn or other social media channels. And I appreciate what you're doing, Sarah, with this podcast and helping people, you know, pursue the benefits of outdoor education while managing the undesired uh, downside. Uh, There are no beneficial risks to contracting Lyme disease. And for anyone who has um, uh, suffered through that, you know, I I wish you the very best uh, and hope that others can learn, you know, from from podcasts like this to you. Um, make the most of the outdoor opportunities and avoid the downside. So thanks again for having me.
0: Thank you, Steve, for that fabulous interview. I really learned so much about risk management, as well as the legal implications. That was really fascinating. It makes me think that maybe I should interview a lawyer on a future podcast. If you have ideas for new podcasts, please be sure to contact us and let us know. In the meantime, stay safe in the outdoors.